Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hello to everybody in my listening family. I'm happy to be back today again with Dr. Ashok Malhotra. We're here to talk about healing stories, and we left off last time with the story of Nightingale and Firefly. So today, Dr. Malhotra, welcome back, first of all. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. And today we're going we're gonna to move on, uh, continue with this project of meaning and figuring out exactly how these stories can help us. And your, your grandfather, I gather, had over 250 stories. So yes. when we tie the story to healing uh, and spirituality, to me what it, has, what it tells us is something about the challenges in our life and how those bring us to a, a closer sense of our destiny, our meaning in life, and the stories can tell us about how a difficulty can actually become our medicine. And I'm wondering if you have a story that might illustrate that theme. Yes, yes, I have a number of stories, but I'll limit it to one, then I'll go into other stories. Uh, one of the things which stood out uh, from my grandfather's uh, story session was he will also throw some words of wisdom. One of the things that he said, or that was kind of his pet phrase or his idea or maxim was, he will say that one act of compassion is better than one month of meditation. <laughs> and you know, initially I said, what is he talking about? We all, you know, adore our uh, spiritual leaders because they meditate every day. So then he will go back to Buddhism. And there was a wonderful Buddhist monk whose name was Shanti Deva. Shanti Deva, the god of peace on this earth, Shanti Deva. And he had wonderful stories about. Uh, compassion, love, generosity. So I'll give you one of those stories. There was a monk, he was listening to his uh, teacher's uh, uh, wonderful lecture on meditation, compassion, and how to see the Buddha. So he listened to that lecture and uh, he was told by the guru, the teacher monk, that if you meditate on the Buddha and you meditate each day for 12 years, your dedication to Buddha and your meditation to Buddha will finally reveal the Buddha in person. And so he listened to his teacher and he took it literally. And he 
got a nice place, a cottage far away from civilization so that he could sit there undisturbed by other people and he followed a routine. He got up at a certain time and uh, ate the foods which were suggested so that he's not dependent on too many external factors and he meditated, meditated with only one thing in his mind. At the end of all these meditations, his dedication, he will see the Buddha in person. So 12 years passed, okay. And finally, the time arrived. It was the evening time. And he said, I dedicated myself to meditation fully, completely, and without any other thought in my mind, except the thought of seeing the Buddha. Now, the guru, the teacher, has also said during his lecture that meditation and compassion go hand in hand. You can see the Buddha through meditation, you're compassionate. So he thought he was not hurting anybody. So he waited, nothing happened. 30 minutes passed, sun was almost going to set. So he's sitting for the Buddha to appear. Where are you? He went and opened the door to see if Buddha was there, no Buddha. Then he went to the closet, opened the door, there is no Buddha, went to the kitchen. Anyway, so he's running around anxiously to see where the Buddha is and Buddha has not appeared. So first being very compassionate, very loving and so forth now, the other emotion, the negative emotion took over, emotion of anger. And he started getting angry and he said, and doubtful, he said, maybe the monk, my guru, my teacher was fooling around. He didn't give me the proper information. No Buddha was going to appear anyway. And that's, I don't like that. He said, I wasted my 12 years sitting here in this cottage and praying, meditating, the Buddha will appear. So finally, after waiting for an hour or so, sun was almost setting. So he said, oh, some lights in that faraway village are going to be shining. I can see a couple of them. So I'm going to go and get drunk because of my foolishness. I'm going to drown all my sorrows in that drink. So he rushes out angry now and he rushes out and he's running towards the village. And just maybe a quarter of a mile away from the village, he can still see the lights and he saw there was a tree. Under the tree, he saw a little puppy dog. And he saw the puppy. Puppy was looking at him pleadingly for something. So he looked at 
this beautiful puppy's face, two black eyes, and a little black nose, and he almost at that moment forgot about his pain. Twelve years of meditating, and he went there to touch the puppy. And when he was going to touch, he saw this very strange sight. The front, the face of the puppy was perfectly normal. Then he saw the front two legs were normal. All the way, first half of the body were normal. Then he saw something which really bothered him emotionally. The hind legs and the tail, that part of the body was full of maggots. And he saw that puppy. And suddenly he started feeling bad for the puppy. How can he help that puppy to relieve the pain the puppy might be uh, sensing at that point, undergoing at that point? So he wanted to relieve the pain. And just at that point, he thought about uh, uh, taking those maggots off the body of the puppy with his hands. Then he said, Buddhism says, be totally non-violent. These little maggots have also feelings and they might have a soul. So if I move them, I might hurt them. So I can't do that. But I want to relieve the suffering of this puppy. So just at that point, after going through many different ways to help him, he came up with a plan. And the next plan was gently he will remove all those maggots. And he filled up his tongue with a lot of sputum, saliva. And he was going to lick these maggots away from the body of the puppy. And as he brought his tongue very close to licking the body, licking those maggots, suddenly the puppy became the Buddha and stood in front of him. And he said, where were you all this time? I've been looking for, for you and I meditated for you. And the Buddha, with a very nice, generous smile, said to this monk, he said, I was always here. He said, but I didn't see you. He said, you were full of your ego. I can sit and meditate for 12 years, and Buddha must appear. That's an egotistical way to go about it. You didn't have enough ounce of compassion during that time. This is the only time when you saw this poor little puppy suffering from those maggots and you didn't even care about your own monkhood. You put that saliva on your tongue and you are going to move that. In every act of compassion, I am present. And it changed his life. Compassion is the key. Helpfulness is the key to salvation. When you start relieving somebody's suffering, you are really 
ready to heal them or you are actually healing them. That's Buddhist way of a healing, relieving suffering of others. Okay, so I thought uh, that uh, a story will fit in <laughs> well here. So, that is a beautiful story. That, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. So now how do we link these stories to your grandpa in general? I mean, they, they, they have amazing value and amazing lessons in them. Um, but I, I just want to kind of tie it to him as a, a figure in your life. Yeah, actually, grandfather uh, was very influential. And I remember it so happened our family was falling apart. My father had a business. He lost it to partition of India into India and Pakistan. All the land my father had was in Pakistan, so he lost it. He started a business with cows, 10 cows, and he was a milkman. But a year after the partition of India, on 15th of August, 1947, that was the partition when India was divided into India, Pakistan and Bangladesh. A year later, when people are still coming out of this partition, this ugliness, this dirt, this uh, uh, total pain, big flood happened in the city where I was growing up. And there was a river, Satluj, which separated Pakistan from India. It was only three and a half miles away. That, because of monsoon, it flooded. 14 feet of water came in our city and killed every one of the cows which my father had. So my father got uh, kind of dep depressed. So one day he decided to leave and abandon all of us. So he went away. And who was our father figure? The grandfather became. He had to play the role of grandfather as well as father or a male figure. So it so happened when the family was falling apart, I was close to 10 years old, and I was in, I think, uh, third or fourth grade at that point. Little kid who was learning Punjabi, Hindi, Urdu, then English language. I was totally mixed up in my... But the grandfather was the it's only person who could help somebody who was drowning. It's like, uh, I don't know how to swim and somebody throws me into the water, and the water is rushing. So it's like suddenly I'm struggling, and I see a big log of wood floating around. I hold on to it, and it saves my life. That's the way grandfather was. He came in handy to heal the wounds which partition of India created, which the flooding of India created, then our father abandoning the whole family. He was the biggest healer. And he healed us through all these stories, through his personal example. He, I'll give you one simple example. We had no money left because everything was wiped out because of partition of India into India and Pakistan. Even though my family was a wealthy family in Pakistan, 
but they lost their everything. Then my father had 10 cows. They were gone. They were all dead because of the water. Then he abandons us. We had no money to even buy books for our, you know, school. So what our grandfather will do, he was the only educated person. My mother was illiterate. My grandmother was illiterate. My father was illiterate. They had never gotten any formal education. Grandfather had education up to 10th grade. So what he will do, because we didn't have books, he will go to the local library, which has some of these books. He will take his own notebook, a big notebook. He will sit there and take notes. He will verbally, or I will say, verbatim, whatever was written in the book, whatever was the assignment, he will try to write it down in his book. Or if the librarian permitted him to take the book home for two hours, he'll bring the book and he will be writing all this. And that became a standard text for us. And he was doing on a regular basis. That's the kind of generosity. He wanted us to be educated. He wanted us to know these stories and have a global perspective. Even though he didn't verbalize it, he was giving us this global perspective and through his own life. And he gave everything he owned. He owned three houses in Ferozgur. He gave it to his children and grandchildren. That's the kind of generous person he was. That's compassion and action. It's amazing to hear the story, uh, the story that he told and how that story is exactly him, is the essence of him in his life. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, if we, a couple of minutes, uh, Linda and I paint a little bit, and uh, I wanted to start writing these uh, stories, retell these stories of grandfather. And because I've been writing all these philosophy books, translating the Bhagavad Gita, Tao Te Ching, Yoga Sutras, and so forth, that's, it, that's enough. So why don't I start rewriting the stories I was told? So we sat there, and I couldn't remember the plot of the whole story. I knew the titles. So we sat down, and I said, I have a little picture of my grandfather. I took that picture, which was made in the 1930s, and I brought black and white picture, created a portrait of him. The moment I put his face there, with his eyes there and his lips, it seemed like he was talking to me. All the stories came back, and I started writing these stories. <laughs> That's beautiful. That is so wonderful. Well, Dr. Ashok Malhotra, that's going to take us to the end of this session. I look forward to another, to another session where we can hear yet another healing story from your grandfather. So thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome, Bob. It's always a pleasure. And everybody out there listening, thank you so much. We'll see you next time. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.